In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Superman. Wonder Woman. Batman. Aquaman. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast. For All Mankind is a read-through show covering DC Comics' classic Super Friends series, which ran from 47 issues from 1976 to 1981. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me this episode is my super friend, Delvin Williams. Hi, Delvin. Hey, Rob. How are you today, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for doing the show. Absolutely. My pleasure. Absolutely. So we're we're here to talk about Super Friends number 33. It was on sale March 27th, 1980. But before we get to the issue in question, Delvin, I got to ask you, do you have any connection or familiarity with the super friends comic book at all i have no connection when you asked me about the super <laughs> friends comic i was like i didn't know that they had a super friends comic. So, <laughs> yeah I, of, of course you know be, being a man in his mid-40s i am more than familiar with the super friends grew up on the cartoon and everything sure. but di- at the time though i guess i was young enough that i didn't even consider that there would have been a comic book for it what what age did you start reading comics did you we get in them as a young young kid yeah, uh, young-ish. I was about nine, and uh, my first comic book was Transformers from Marvel Comics, and that eventually blossomed into, well, let's see, that went into the 90s then, so, you know, there was some image stuff in there, but mostly Marvel until about college age, and then went into DC and some other stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, so Super Friends ended in 1981, so it was already gone by the time you were just getting into comics, so yeah, this is the kind of thing that you know, just was it was already off the shelves, off the spinner racks by the time you were ever getting comics. So, all right, well, I'm dying to find out what you thought of this issue because I I love, I mean, I love having people on that have read the comic extensively. I've had some of those, but I also love people who are like, there have been some people who've been on the show that their first Super Friends comic is this one for the show. So uh, I'm fascinated to find out what you thought of this because you're kind of coming at it with completely tabula rasa kind of thing. So as I mentioned, this is issue number 33. It was on sale March 27th, 1980. The story is called The Secret of the Stolen Solitaire by E. Nelson Bridwell, Ramona Frayden, and Vince Coletta. Before we get to the story, though, Delvin, I'll ask you, what did you think of the cover? I thought the cover was good. Uh, It's featuring Superman up front, but they did a pretty cool job of having quite a few things on the cover but it's making it look active but not crowded so that was a good job and i thought it was an interesting choice even though he did play a good role in the story but it was an interesting choice to feature hawkman like if if a super friends comic book were around today in 2022 there's no way they would have featured hawkman over (laughs) superman and batman and you, you got the trinity on on the on the on the cover and they featured Hawkman. So that that in itself was interesting. But every everything was well drawn. I mean, good looking Superman, classic costume, good looking bats and Hawkman. 
And even though, like, you know, you got the menagerie, man, and they're kind of doing this funky pose and the whole, <laughs> the whole costume's kind of funky, but. <laughs> That's a word for it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, yeah, it's like a, he's got like a caveman kind of tank top thing going with <laughs> three spikes for some reason. I guess there's spikes in menagerie. Uh, and then, you know, but it also just kind of features kind of one of the plot points in the book, too, where you had birds that had kryptonite on their talons. So right. <laughs> it, it was it was a good cover. I thought it was a good cover. And it was it even just the artwork itself kind of made me smile and reminded me of the cartoon. So it, it put me back in into, you know, my headspace as a kid. I liked it. That's great. Are you familiar at all with the work of Ramona Frayden? Uh, not at all. Not at all. Wow. Okay, cool. Oh, my God. I'm dying to see what you thought of Ramona Frayden. <laughs> we are, of course, huge fans of hers on this show. Um, I, As I've said in previous episodes, anytime they worked another member of the non-Super Friends into this comic, I loved it because I got to see Ramona Frayden, who's always been one of my favorites, draw like another member of the Justice League. And here we get Hawkman. He's right on the cover. I love the way she draw. I just, again, I'm such a huge fan. So I'm just like, every time somebody else from the, again, from the DCU showed up, I was like, it was awesome because you get to see what they looked like as drawn by Ramona mm-hmm. Frayden. And it always makes me wonder, well, I guess I didn't wonder why they was a very, there was a very hard line between this comic and like the rest of the DCU. But like, I really wish they had done like a JLA annual or a special with her drawing the Justice League, a full on, Everybody, I would have killed for that, but we only get little kind of bits and pieces throughout the series. But and I always loved yeah. Hawkman. Uh, are you a fan of Hawkman at all? I think Hawkman's okay. I don't think I've ever collected a Hawkman comic, but <laughs> every t- every time that there's anything cosmic or out in space or there's a big event, Hawkman appears as well as Hawk Girl. Hawk Girl's made a lot of appearances recently mm-hmm. too, and I know a little bit about their story and you know that they've had a star-crossed love over centuries, but they're never fated to stay together for very long. So I know a little bit about Hawkman, and I, I think he's cool. And I mean, come on, he has wings and a big mace. I, mean, I love the mace. The mace has always yeah. been my favorite, because that is, it's like, that's the kind of weapon that if you got hit by that, that's just going to crush your skull in. Like, you know, yeah. it's a giant metal ball with spikes on it. I just, yeah. I loved it. The Superpowers toy came with it. Uh, I absolutely love it. I've always loved the Hawks. Uh, big, big fan of this iteration of the character. So, like I said, I was super excited that they're here. Uh, at least Hawkman is in the, this issue of Super Friends. And um, Ramona Frayden, again, I go on and on about her every issue that she draws. But I love that the, the multiple perspectives on this cover. Because you've got kind of Superman coming in from one angle. You've got Menagerie Man, who's clearly down on the ground, even though it's like a white cover. There's no real horizon wonder woman is clearly standing on the ground batman's kind of coming in from yet another angle uh you got to really be a master of perspective to get all that correct and of course i'm afraid did so i i really like this cover quite a bit and of course superman looks a little terrified of the birds with the the kryptonite (laughs) in their talons yeah yeah yeah, I know the only part of art that i know i'm not like my boy jared you know who's an artist but i do know that Everything, if it's a good cover or if it's drawn well, that it has to be going towards a certain vantage point. And I can, and you're right. I could tell that from this vantage point that, that Wonder Woman's on the ground fighting a battle. She's not necessarily engaged in the same battle. And you can tell that Batman, he's not somehow flying in the sky that he's going, looks like he's about to jump on that buffalo. I think it's a, a bull, I believe. I think that's a bull. Yeah. Jump on the bull. And you can tell that you've got, 
Hawkman looking at the birds, and you've got Superman very carefully around the birds. Now, as far as Menagerie Man, he might be doing God knows what, but you know, I mean, he's Menagerie Man. He can do it. <laughs> he's hitting Superman with his whip, which will obviously be very effective. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's a terrific cover. And of course, you'll be able to see this on the uh, gallery page on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. So, all right, let's get to the story. At the Hall of Justice, the Wonder Twins are both changing into a solitaire. In Jaina's case, a solitaire is a type of dodo bird. In Zan's case, a solitaire is a hunk of ice made to look like a rare diamond. This is all part of the Super Friends plan to catch a diamond thief who has been striking across Gotham, and they are betting that the Fitzjames solitaire diamond is next. While laying in wait at the home of the millionaire who owns the diamond, Jaina sees a curious intruder, a ferret with a camera strapped to its back. Outside, we see the Menagerie Man is back. The ferret runs off, uh, turns off the security alarm, allowing the menagerie man to get in. Outside, the super friends hear a cry for help, only to find Jaina gone, kidnapped by the menagerie man. With the Wonder Twins separated, neither can return to their normal forms. Jaina, in her bird form, is placed into a cage and slowly learns how to communicate with a fellow bird inmate named Big Red. They both snip at Big Red's cage's wires, allowing him to escape. Back at the Hall of Justice, the super friends are surprised to see their fellow hero Hawkman arrive with Big Red in tow. He tells them what Big Red knows, that the Menagerie Man plans on keeping Jaina, thinking she really is the rare bird she is transformed into. The Super Friends find the Menagerie Man's hideout, and he sicks a pack of falcons carrying kryptonite at Superman. Hawkman tells his feathery friends to take off, but they have been trained so successfully by the Menagerie Man that they have to do what he's told them to do. On the ground, the rest of the Super Friends have, a fight, have to fight off a buffalo, a moose, and some leopards, also trained to attack. Meanwhile, Gleek brings in Zan in his ice form and has him touch Jaina, who quickly turns into a mammoth, shattering her cage. The Super Friends defeat the animals without hurting them, and then Jaina grabs Menagerie Man with her trunk. Hawkman flies off, and Superman offers the Wonder Twins a quite quiet evening playing cards. The Wonder Twins agree, as long as it's not a game of solitaire. All right, so <laughs> we got to go through this uh, kind of beat by beat, but overall, I am dying to find out what you thought of this, Delvin, since this is your first ever Super Friends comic. So if I knew nothing about comic books, I would say this was a delightful comic book and it made sure that nearly every super friend had a role to play in the book. And and, and actually, you know, having been a comic book reader for, I don't know, 35 or so years now, I still think that it, that was cool. But it's also funny that knowing what I know about comic books is that like any main character could have handled this by themselves. <laughs> Are you <laughs> saying the Menagerie Man is not a, a Dr. Doom level threat to superheroes? Is that what you're saying, Dominic? Just a little bit, Rob. Just, just, a, <laughs> just, just a bit. I mean, so, I mean, cause like even they tried to like, there were a little bit of, like if someone were wondering why didn't Superman just come in there and just handle things, he's like, well, if if I looked at X-ray vision, it might trigger the alarm. I'm like, man, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but in the context of the story, it I thought it was a perfectly delightful story. It was a very light, breezy read, and it reminded me either of the cartoon or if somehow like. Like I could see them breaking this down if Super Friends were a comic strip and they could have broken it down right into like a comic strip form and had that going for several weeks. Oh, absolutely. And of course, Ramona Frayden drew the Brenda Starr comic strip for many years. So uh, I would have killed to see a Super Friends comic strip if they had ever made that. Oh, man, I would have eaten that up. Yeah, 
I, you're right. I mean, all these stories, all the super friends are obviously operating on a slightly lower gear than they yeah. would in their individual titles. Cause yes. And you know, villainy wise. Yeah. The menagerie man. Mm, uh, I don't <laughs> think it'll, I don't think it's going to surprise anybody to find out that this was the menagerie man's final appearance in super friends. He made three appearances in this title. He never got used as far as I know in any other comic book. So he's one of those villains that E. Nelson Bridwell created, especially for this book. And some of his villains or some of his creations, like the global guardians, of course, mm-hmm. got grafted into the greater DCU and are now a big part of it. Some creations, not so much. Uh, and the Menagerie man is one of those. I think his power set is okay. Is that he can train animals? Cause it's kind of like a Craven the hunter thing, but yeah, the uniform um, yeah. <laughs> is just, now, this is his second uniform. He first appeared in Super Friends number six, where he had a kind of purple phantom look with bare legs and he looked and a, and a striped kind of underpants, which was not any less ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but Ramona Fraden is definitely leaning into the comedy uh, or the family friendly kind of atmosphere. Cause yeah, Menagerie Man is just so goofy looking. And yeah. the, the fact that he's tra- he's put a tiny camera on a ferret. You know, yeah, he's not like last issue's villain who was the scarecrow. You know, he's just not. <laughs> he is so who he is. What it makes me think of is like, because we have to think this way now. It's a glorious time in comic book history. I mean, even though, you know, Warner Brothers is mangling DC movies, you still have to think <laughs> like, what if they made a live action movie and for whatever reason, you had some coked out producer that's like, <laughs> Menagerie Man. <laughs> And, and, and someone's like, okay, I got to put Menagerie Man onto the screen and this has to look somewhat credible. Like, how would you dress them? And I don't know. Maybe you can take off the uh, onesie leopard skin onesie thing that he has and just like make it like a cool scarf or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> but and then you just have to give them like mental powers where like much like Aquaman has his aquatic telepathy. Right. He, he just. He has telepathy over land-based animals or something like that. Yeah, and if you, totally. had, if you had, and if you had that, then you got a pretty dangerous foe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, he could show up in the Harley Quinn cartoon they have on HBO Max. Like that's very silly. He could show yeah. up there. That would be fine. Um, yeah. I mean, again, it's. It, <laughs> I love the idea that like I'm just picturing like you know he's back at his headquarters and he's like strapping a tiny camera to the back of this ferret like he's just sitting there trying to like do <laughs> meticulous work here um and then i i, kinda, I do kind of like there is you know again it's very silly i like that when he finds the dodo bird he is like oh this is a rare bird this is this is uh this is really a quite defined now you know he's kind of like he doesn't think about like how could a why would there be a rare bird in a guy's house? Like, isn't that a little, but he, but he goes with it. He goes with it. He's like, okay. And then I like that panel. It's on page five where he leans down and the ferret just runs up to his arm. Uh, you know, it's like, he's kind of frank, you know, those are his, yeah, they're his slaves, but they're his, you know, like, I, I don't know. I just like that detail that he didn't forget to bring the ferret with him. He's like, Oh no, yeah, come with me. Then you get to the next page and all the super friends, are just hanging outside the house behind a tree, which is just hysterical. You've got Superman <laughs> and Wonder Woman, two of the most powerful beings to ever walk the face of the earth, and they're just hiding in the bushes. 
it's like okay sure yeah yeah like i mean have you ever i don't i can't even think of a single superman panel where he's hiding behind anything because it's it's superman he has on a bright red cape and blue like primary colors of course you're gonna see who he is it was they did try and explain it with um menagerie man and his his thinking of why there would be a rare extinct bird was just beyond the pale he said he's like is it possible cody's found a way to time travel back to the past when the solitaire still thrived man yeah that's a reach man that's a (laughs) what (laughs) (laughs) he does not believe in occam's razor i guess is what i'm saying yeah only in the dcu is time travel the first thing you reach for when you (laughs) see something strange you're like oh that must be some sort of time traveling bird i don't know maybe uh, yeah, can you imagine like somebody walking their dog in this neighborhood and then the super friends are just standing there in the bushes? You're like, <laughs> all right, I don't, okay, whatever. That's cool. <laughs> um, so they, uh, again, they, they leave uh, Zan behind in the shape of the diamond and he's stuck in that shape. Now, I do like that. I think that's a nice little conundrum for the Wonder Twins that you separate them and all of a sudden they're, they're stuck in their form. So that leaves Zan pretty useless because he's just the shape of a diamond so that's kind of cool I mean, you got okay we got to figure out how to yeah, resolve I mean, that yeah i thought that was cool too and that is a part of the wonder twins powers that i forgot about i forgot that they had to make contact yep. with each other in order to change form and in order to revert back to humanoid form i completely forgot that yep so back at the menagerie man's uh headquarters he sticks Jaina in the, the cage and he's, she starts talking to big red and they you know they hand wave it and they have to because these stories are only 17 pages. They don't have a lot of time to get into the details. But I like that Enelson Bridwell makes an effort to say that Jaina is attempting to learn bird language. And there's some like basic, there's some basic sounds that can be ferreted out. Now, of course, she right. learns it immediately pretty quickly. But I don't know. I just thought that had a nice touch of verisimilitude of like, okay, just because she's in bird form doesn't mean she knows how to talk to birds. So she has to kind of reason it out. And I thought, okay, that's fun. Yeah, it's like a fun little detail that she's learning the the grunts and tweets of Big Red. Yeah, I could buy that. I mean, it's it's a work of fiction. So yeah. and as long as your work of fiction has a little bit of believability to it, it's fine. And they even explain, he's like, yeah, Hawkman explained to me that birds have a pretty simple language. And so it was actually kind of a very human moment where she just like well what the heck else am i do, gonna do i'll mm-hmm. sit here and learn this bird's language and maybe this can help me get out i thought that uh Zana, uh Jana, excuse me was very resourceful in trying to do that so i i gave her props absolutely so they pecked their way out of the, the big red's cage uh the menagerie man is like he goes in to check them check on them big red attacks for a guy who spends his entire time controlling yes. animals Mm-hmm. He really folds like a cheap suit when the <laughs> mm-hmm. big red attack, like all big red does is kind of like flail at him. And he immediately is like, huh? And big red takes off. I'm like, dude, really? This is the first bird that's ever gotten away from you. Right. I, I agree with that. That was like, ah, bird scary. Yeah. <laughs> like, man, you got spikes on your head. I mean, surely they're not just decorative, right? You could have just like put your head down. <laughs> Are you not the menagerie man? Like, what is that about? Uh, but okay so then back at the hall of justice they're all figuring out what's going on and then hawkman shows up uh which is cool now again i love it again i'm not i'm not everybody as you know i love ramona afraid not making fun of it at all but i do appreciate the goofiness of it 
that when all the super friends are in the Hall of Justice, right? And you hear, mm-hmm. I'd say he's up to his neck in trouble. And Aquaman's like, that voice, Hawkman. And they turn around and they look. And Hawkman, now they, they've, they've established they're inside. And they look and they look and who's there? Hawkman and Big Red. He's flying. So like, <laughs> he, did he fly into the Hall of Justice? Like, like he doesn't just walk it. Now, of course, you're trying to give him a, a big entrance, but I just thought it was funny that like, He's fluttering inside the Hall of Justice as opposed to just walking in and be like, hey, everybody, I'm here. Uh, I just oh. thought that was that was just funny. Well, I mean, Hawkman can't get his grand entrance if he's just walking. Exactly. I mean, and, and, what, and what is poor Big Red going to do? He, he needs his moment, too. Yeah. So we, we got to give Big Red his moment to shine. Yeah, you got to have a, gotta have a nice, nice uh, entrance. Now, uh, on page 11, when Hawkman establishes what we're going to do, there's this great panel of all the Super Friends running including hawkman and we've already talked about this issue zinc by vince coletta not a fan of mr coletta's work uh the alternate anchor for this book the regular anchor for the longest time was bob smith who was an absolutely marvelous anchor for ramona Freight, and he's still doing the covers i really wish he had done the insides of this book because he's just i think he's just a much better anchor he's the perfect anchor for ramona Freight, and especially for panels like this if smith had inked it i think it would have been like a perfect pinup shot to have all yeah. the super friends charging with the addition of Hawkman. I know enough about the fire and water network that there is a healthy <laughs> <laughs> hatred of Vince Coletta. And as soon as I saw the name, I'm like, wait a minute. This, of his this work, name- of his work. Let's be specific. <laughs> Maybe oh, yeah. the man was his- fine. The yeah, work the- is what we don't like. You're right. Vince could- himself could have been a humanitarian. He, he might have been a very you know- nice man. Yes. Yeah, he could have ushered, you know, children to school every day, but his <laughs> work, people aren't necessarily the craziest about it. I did remember that. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, and I, I, I hate to keep beating that drum because he's going to end up being the kind of regular inker pretty soon. And I don't want to go every episode and be like, oh, I wish somebody else was thinking it. But it's when you have a panel like that, where it's clearly kind of like the big kapow shot of all of our heroes. And again, with added Hawkman. I'm like, oh, Bob Smith and Inked it. It would have been perfect, but okay, whatever. So uh, they make their way to the Menagerie Man's hideout. Uh, I love that they just find it very quickly. Um, and he's got a pretty nice dig. Like he's got like he's in like this kind of barn and there's like this water tower, like a grain silo sort of thing. And then, of course, you know, Superman and Hawkman are outside. And then that's when they get attacked by the birds with the kryptonite in their talons. This was back in a time when any villain could get kryptonite every <laughs> villain just two issues earlier we had the black orchid guest appearance the villain in that story gets kryptonite kryptonite just it's just everywhere in the dc universe that you can go down to the corner store and get right. like a pack of smokes a slim jim <laughs> and a little rock of kryptonite it's some kryptonite it was in so much so to the point that you would almost think that superman would be a useless hero <laughs> because you're right every every time that they need it i mean i would imagine if you're someone who owns a lot of rare exotic animals that you would have some money but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have lex luthor money and <laughs> and i can see lex luthor being able to find out where kryptonite is and have it at his disposal but menagerie man yep <laughs> not so much and he's got i mean he doesn't even have one piece he's got like several pieces to give to these birds. Uh, and I do kind of like it on page 12, Ramona Fraid and the way she draws Hawkman, of course, is fine. And Hawkman said, when he tells the bird, basically stand down. And the bird is like, we, we have to attack. That's what Menagerie Man is sort of brainwashing into doing. 
And Hawkman's like, very well. If you insist on fighting, we will fight. I love the way she draws Superman. He's kind of like, eh, like he's got his hands up. It's a very un-Superman-y <laughs> pose. He's like, oh, kryptonite. <laughs> and, and then if you think about it, like there were there were two battles going on. There's a air battle and there's a land battle. The land battle had some, we haven't gotten to it yet, but some pretty powerful creatures. The air battle is Superman and Hawkman <laughs> versus three birds. Three birds, right. <laughs> like, that's not even, what? That's not even a contest in any shape or form other than, okay, maybe Hawkman doesn't want to kill. Okay, seriously, Superman could have said, you know what? I'm going to fly like a mile away. Hawkman, can you take care of this real quick? <laughs> and Hawkman would have been like, yeah, dude, I, I, I got it. <laughs> This will take like 0.8 seconds. Did somebody bring a big net or something? Is that all we can do? Yeah, you're right. Superman, just fly away. Just fly. Just fly so high up the birds can't follow you and you'll be fine. So, yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, down on the on the ground, that's when the bull and the leopards and the moose attack. And, you know, I, I kind of even very similar to um, the story we did a couple of months ago where they went to Gorilla City and a bunch of the gorillas um, got brain con- uh, got into a mob and attacked the super friends. The super friends are like, well, look, these guys are just kind of out of control. They're not really evil, so we don't want to harm them. And that's what's going on here is that these animals are, of course, under the mind control of the menagerie man. They're just animals. They're not responsible for what they're doing. So it gives our heroes an extra level of difficulty that they have to subdue these creatures without actually really hurting them so wonder woman knocks at the bull with one punch uh that's well done aquaman gets a whole page to himself uh i don't really even know why except that maybe <laughs> ramona Freighton used to draw aquaman and she just wanted to give him more room for something but he gets a whole page to himself where he leaps over the the uh, moose jumps on the back of its head and then rides it like a bucking bronco and then subdues it and uh again aquaman do- doesn't always get a lot to do in this book so anytime he gets a whole page to himself, I'm happy. Yeah. They all got their, well, they both, in this case, got their good moments where you would hope that Wonder Woman, based off of the power level that we know her to be now, we we, we would hope that she pulled that punch a little bit because yeah. it looks like she kind of knocked the crap out of that cape buffalo. And I would not know it was a cape buffalo unless I were directly looking at the, com- the comic book. But yeah, so, I mean, Wonder Woman uses her strength and just clobbers a charging land animal like that, which is a impressive display of power. And it was an equally dis- impressive display of power and a little bit of agility too. what Aquaman did. It looked like he was going to charge uh, that moose head on, but instead like did this pretty cool acrobatic maneuver where he, you know, instead jumped up and landed on his back. And he's like, no, I'm too strong. You're not going to buck me. I got you. So I'm like, hey. I thought that was a cool Aquaman moment, too, especially when a lot of the times when you would see Super Friends that everything he had to do had to be water-based. In mm-hmm. this case, it wasn't. It wasn't, and it was uh, still a very cool feat of strength and agility. Absolutely. Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, that's that is what I, one of the things I liked about it. I, you did mention, yeah, they, they go out of their way to say it's a cape buffalo, which I'd never, I didn't know what that was. And then we get Wonder Woman saying some hunters rate the cape buffalo as the most dangerous hoofed animal in the world, which is, you know, yeah. okay, teaching kids something about the, you know, a little thing about the nature. And then that, of course, gives it in that, okay, the buffalo is even a little more of a threat. Obviously, as you just said, she takes it out with one punch. 
but he's Enelson Bertel is trying to stack the deck a little bit and saying, okay, this isn't just a bull. This is like the most dangerous bull on the planet. Yeah, somebody pulled out their Encyclopedia Britannica for that one, right? E and B knew a lot of stuff. So uh, Batman and Robin subdue the leopards with their batarangs. Meanwhile, Gleek grabs Zan uh, uh, in his uh, diamond form, and then they gets gets to touch Jaina. She turns into a mammoth, and he turns into a snowstorm that wrecks the cage. They manage to uh, Superman uses his heat vision to shred the little cloth kind of like harness that the uh, the rocks, the kryptonite rocks are attached to, uh, which means uh, they all fall harmlessly to Earth. Now, you know, I, I, I hope somebody goes and rounds those up because then there's just more kryptonite out there to endanger Superman. But, I mean, uh, even if even if they didn't, there there's clearly more. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> right. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Hawkman and Superman subdue the birds. They look down and they see how their friends are doing. I love that Aquaman is still riding the moose. He's just still on the back of the moose. I don't know why, but I just find that funny where he's just sitting there in the back of it. Like, okay, easy boy. Easy. easy <laughs> that kind of thing. So, uh, and then the final page menagerie man goes out like the mort that he is. Yeah. And, um, uh, Jaina just wraps him, wraps her, her trunk around him and holds him in a most ignominious style where she's just carrying him. She's doing like a fireman's carry. Uh, except it's not over her shoulder and he gets carted off by Batman and Robin with not even a line of dialogue. So he goes out with a whimper. Yeah. Didn't even throw a punch. There nope. was, a- there was action in this comic book, but none of it was uh, with the menagerie man. Heck, even the place that he broke into, he got the ferret to do the dirty work and he just used the skeleton key to open the door. So yeah, I, we don't know the extent of, uh, Menagerie's man's fighting prowess. We we didn't get to see that this issue. No, and we never will again because it's yeah. And then there's uh, Hawkman departs, and he has to throw this little comment where he says, "Has to get back to Midway City. Hawk Girl may need my help winding up a case we were working on." I think she's fine, Carter. <laughs> I think she's yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, but behind every successful Hawk man is a successful Hawk girl. Yeah, exactly. And come on, Hawkman, what are you doing? Uh, and then it ends on this little pun where Superman says, "Have it a quiet night playing cards." And Jane is like, "Sounds great, except as long as it's not solitaire." And you could totally see that as like the ending of the episode of the cartoon. It just has that, you know, wah wah wah, cause, you know, kind of uh, way to end it. I got a question for you. Did at the start of the book that you know that solitaire had both of those meanings? I did not. I Me did neither. not. When I when I um did the prep for in the last episode, I always grabbed the title of the next one, and that's how I end each episode, premiering, you know, previewing the next issue. I had mm-hmm. not read this comic in a really long like decades. Uh probably just read it when I got it years ago, you know, when, when it was off the stands or whatever. And I I read the title, The Secret of the Soul in Solitaire, and I was like, Solitaire is a card game. That doesn't make any... <laughs> Me too. <You> know? <laughs> That's the only way that I, other than knowing that solitaire, well, solitary means by yourself, but right. which is why I know, you know, the game Solitaire is a one-man or woman card game. But yeah, I did not know it was a, an extinct bird. And at one point early in the book, Superman was like, 
well, you turned into the extinct solitaire, not the solitaire that still exists. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Like, new on me. So yeah, no one, no one knew that Clark. E. Nelson Bridwell no. still teaching me things at 50 years old. So yes, sir. Good, good on you, Ian B. Uh, so yeah, it's a, you know, and that's the end of the story. The one little thing I will mention in the letter column, there are comments on issue 28 of the series, which is the one where they face off against all the DC horror characters. And in that issue, I bemoan the fact that in that story, all the, the Swamp Thing, Man Bat, Solomon Grundy, Bizarro, and the Demon are not the real versions. They're just people in costumes. I was a little like, oh, oh I wish the Super Friends could have taken on the real versions. In the letters page, everyone likes that trick. Everyone liked that. So I'm in the minority here. Mm-hmm. Everyone everyone in the letter column was like, oh, that was, that was a fun switch, that it was just people in costumes. I'm like, okay, whatever. So overall, Delvin, and I want... You you know you said this is your first and only Super Friends comic. You said you liked it. Would this be some? I'm not expecting you to go run out to eBay and go buy back issues, but would this be something that you would be want to sample other issues later on? Like, did you enjoy it to to that level? I enjoyed it enough that if I mean, and this honestly isn't a hand. If you invited me on again, I I certainly <laughs> would read it because it was it was a pleasant read, but. What it also made me kind of smile and think about was when I collected comic books as a kid. This is a book that even today, you could take this book, what, 40 years old? You can give it to a kid today, and I think a kid could be entertained by it because it was a lot of fun. The artwork was clean and distinctive to where, like, you can look at Hawkman and then maybe... That kid can see, like, you know, if you took him to a comic book store, maybe want to get a Hawkman comic book or a Hawkman toy if you they were walking by the toy aisle in the right place. And that's one of the things that I love about this era of comic books is that they were very clearly trying to market to kids. And that's cool. But it's something just like you said, we like you at your age and me at my age, we looked at it and learned something, too, because I didn't know a cake buffalo existed. I didn't know that a solitaire was a diamond as well as an extinct bird. So I, it's it's an all ages comic, and that's that is a that's rare. That is a super rare thing and a and a rare feat to pull off. Absolutely. So well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it to that level. And yeah, we still got more issues to do. So maybe you'll be you'll be due back and read another issue of, of Super Friends. The final thing I want to ask you is, of course, I normally talk about the villain and saying like, would he have an exi- Did he have any uh, existence outside the comic group. He talked about that Menedry man. He really didn't. He was just, this was just it for him. But the other category is who are we naming the best friend? Who do you think of all the characters came off the best in this story? Uh, I think uh, Jaina did. I liked how resourceful she was. Like, I mean, for to even know what a solitaire was to turn into that bird was, was cool. But like, she literally learned an entirely different language the outside of the human species in an hour in order to even set the plot forward to get free and, and do everything else. So I thought that was an incredible feat. Yeah. I got to say the same thing. I named Jaina because she really gets, she figured yeah, for all the reasons you just said, she looks at the bird language. She ends up grabbing the menagerie man. <laughs> like she, she, she turns into the bird. Like she, it's really her story with the super friends as sort of uh, backup. So yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. She is, she comes off. She's the best friend in this particular issue. So, well, Delvin, uh, thank you so much. We have never had the chance to podcast before. I've heard your voice on a bunch of different shows on your network. Uh, so it was finally cool to get a chance to, to collaborate together across networks here. So 
Uh, thank you so much for being here. And why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Yeah, thank you for having me. This was this was great. And I'm glad that we got an opportunity to uh, just talk one-on-one like we did. I really enjoyed it. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y 1977. And my long box crusade buddies would give me mucho crap if I did not uh, show the network. Uh, long box <laughs> crusade network. There's a lot of cool stuff going on over there. I'll personally talk about some of the shows that I do. Uh, I do come out to play a new Warriors podcast. That is a live stream on YouTube. Uh, please subscribe to our channel there. Uh, and I do Transformers Chronicles as well, uh, where uh, we are covering the entire run of Marvel Comics, the Transformers, an 80-issue run. We're almost halfway there. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff elsewhere on the network to be found. That's a lot of fun. So please come check us out. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for coming by Delvin. I really do appreciate it. And everybody, I want you to stay tuned. I'm going to run some commercial announcements. And when I come back, fellow network all-star Chris Franklin will be joining me for another installment of For All Merch Kind. Stay tuned. All right, our bags are packed and we got the snacks. It's time for the Lombox Crusade road trip to the Lombox Mobile crew. Check on. Check on. Dang it. Everyone buckled up. Here we go. Well, now that the garage is empty, Gene will have more space to record episodes of LBC Irregulars, the indexing of the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes TV series. Oh no! Did anyone remember to leave Clinton some food down in the basement? He's gonna need it as he makes more episodes of Fan Film Fridays, his ongoing look at online fan films. Why are you speaking in such a scripted manner, Dark Web? Anyway, you can relax. I asked Rick, or was it Jeff? Who can remember? I asked the attic guy to come down from time to time to check in on Clinton. You know, take some breaks from recording Monday Movie Muck about his movie review show. Weasel Skull, did you give Rick the key to the basement? Key. Sounds like LBC headquarters is in good hands, Death Probe. Right you are, Christados. Oh, Pat, can we stop off at KB Toy Store? I'm going to pick up some Transformers and G.I. Joes. They remind me of Transformers Chronicles and G.I. Joe Chronicles. Our show's going through the Marvel run of Transformers comics and the Devil's Do run of Joe comics. Well, while you guys are doing that, we can also stop by a Blockbuster video and get some tapes to watch for action film face-off. That's the show where we discuss two action films and have them duke it out to see which one is the episode champion. Is that VHS or beta? Eh, either one's fine. We've got a lot of stops to make, but if we can, let's squeeze in the Walden books and score some comics for us to talk about on Crusader Chronicles, the show where we move chronologically through the Amazing Spider-Man comics and include a bonus issue from the same release date as the Spidey recovery. I will definitely keep an eye out for our Walden books. It'll come in handy for the pure Lombox Crusade episodes, our time capsule show where we take a deep dive into a randomly selected comic and talk about news, music, and movies and ads that were popular when the books were released. I'll also be on the lookout for our electronic boutique, EB, if you guys don't know the lingo back then, so we can get some more comic-related video games for us to discuss on Comics to Council Crusade. Good thinking. If time permits, let's hit Circuit City. I need more positrons for our pop culture positcast show. The one where we find all the good stuff in pop culture that others seem to poo-poo. Positrons? Shut up and go with it. These old-timey, out-of-business store jokes doing anything for you folks? Well, if you like old-timey stuff, we also offer Saturday Matinee Theater. Our look back at old TV shows, serials, and films that have kind of been forgotten. I think that about covers it. We definitely want to be your road trip crew, folks. Whether it's your commute to work or a road trip of your own, why not pass the time with us, your friends at the Longbox Crusade? 
Once again, that's Long Box Crusade, available on all your finer podcatchers. Good job, team. I'm getting hungry. Pat, stop at the next Kenny Rogers Roasters that you see. Or Pentagons. Burger Chef! And as promised, we're back with another exciting installment of For All Merch Kind, a fan favorite over here on uh, For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast. So, Chris, welcome back. Uh, hey, Rob. I'm uh, trying to expand my muscles. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I gave up on that a long time ago. I, whatever <laughs> muscles I can build from lifting comic books, that's going to have to do it. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're talking about a very strange piece of Super Friends merch. This is the Power Expander. You can see an image from this. Somebody was selling it on eBay, and I stole the picture. I have no shame about that. It, it is. Uh, it, it's on again. It's on the gallery page for, uh, for this episode of For All Mankind. It is not branded Super Friends. This is not. A, I got to say, I'm, I'm cheating a little in that it is not called Super Friends, but it is using the Super Friends esque font. For the mm-hmm. word power expander, and it is using three members of the Super Friends: Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman, uh, for to promote this thing. It's basically a one of those little metal like like springs, and you you tug it, and it's supposed to build your muscles because it's got some resistance, and it even comes with a little booklet. And there's a drawing of Superman, which looks a little Alex Tothish. I'm sure it's not that. And then there's um, on the, the the art itself has got Superman. You can you figure out with your eye? You're great at this. Who drew that Superman? It's not it Kurt looks Swan, like Kurt, right? I think, think it so? looks like Kurt Swan. I okay, think it's inked, almost looks like Kurt Swan inked by Kurt Schaffenberger. Okay, all right. I trust you uh, on this way more than me. So okay, interesting. All right. Now the 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 stock art shot of Superman is that's Wayne. Is that Wayne Boring or is that Kurt Swan too? That's Kurt Swan. That's yeah, Kurt that's Swan. Like, it's like from an early Superman annual, I think. Okay. Yeah. And then there's Batman, which is the Carmen Infantino Batman drawn by, right. uh, inked by uh, Murphy Anderson, that one. And then there's yeah. that Wonder Woman headshot, which is what? Is that? I think it's Mike Sikowski. Mike Sikowski. Okay. Yeah, right, from right. the Justice League. Like, like it's from a roll call page. And then they, I think they use it on some covers in the 70s too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right, right. Yeah. I've seen it. So, like, yeah. This is this is a very strange item. Um, I, you know, I don't know, Chris. What do you think of this? I, you know, I mean, it's 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 kind of cool, but it's like it's kind of weird. I, I know Superman obviously is the most powerful hero and stuff, but it's like if you know anything about Superman, he didn't work do crap to get his muscles. You know, <laughs> he's he's Kryptonian. It's just by birth. He's on Earth and it's lower gravity and. You know, it's yellow sun. That's why he's got muscles upon muscles. Batman would have been a better one to put on here because Batman had to actually work out to get muscles, mm-hmm. you know? So <laughs> and Wonder Woman's an Amazon, so she's not a good one either. So Batman's yeah. the one you want to go with, you know? <laughs> I, yeah, I I didn't I had no idea this existed until I just went on eBay and typed in Super Friends Vintage and yeah. This thing came up and I was so gobsmacked. I was like, oh, this is what we're doing next. I just, I never <laughs> saw this thing. Um, I, you know, I mean, again, it's, 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 it's branded superheroes. We see there's a little, um, logo of the super friend, the three super friends in silhouette. And then it says superhero. So this is one of those things that, um, uh, you know, they use the, they use, they co-use the copyright with Marvel for superheroes because of course both DC Marvel, like, you know, shared, uh, that particular, term and like i said they're clearly trading on the super friends 
idea because the logo is the same that that you know 3d lettering kind of thing and by having our three heroes together it's kind of super friendsish. i mean i'm not going to begrudge that aquaman's not on this because there's just you know where would you even put the wonder woman's head doesn't even really serve any purpose you know what i mean it's like they just stuck her head on the little booklet but she's not on the thing in any way it's just superman and batman so yeah. You know, they're, I guess they just were like, well, let's th- we, we have space. Let's throw another hero in there. That way, you know, good girls can work out, too. There's nothing wrong with that. So I guess that was the that was the idea. And we get the little the kid on the box from Stranger Things here and he's doing the muscly thing. So, you know, <laughs> Will Byers. Yeah, he's like Will Byers. From, I couldn't remember his name. He looks like Will Byers from, from Stranger Things. I mean, why not? I mean, why you not? know. This thing was probably made in the late seventies, and that shit takes place in the mid eighties. So why not? He yeah, this is little Will Byers. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is before he got into D and D, he was into superhero fitness. Yeah. Superhero <laughs> fitness. So I mean, you if you if you built your muscles with this, and you took the superhero vitamins that DC had, you know, you're on your way to a health regimen. So that's right. Yeah, I, I love the 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 little that logo, the physical fitness superheroes with the silhouettes. It, yep. I mean, that that'd be a cool T shirt. You know, that would be like a cool T-shirt. I would wear that now. Of course, that doesn't take much for me to wear a superhero T-shirt. Right, right, yeah. You know, that's 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 what my T-shirt wardrobe consists of, basically. But I mean, it it, it's uh, it's it's kind of modern looking. The silhouettes, I think. You know, it's like it doesn't particularly look like seventies to me. It's like Hmm. it's pretty cool. I, I I think I love I love the fact as much as I and you know we've said this before as much as I love the artwork of jose luis garcia lopez crazy his name the style guide artwork the stringent adherence to style guides killed things like this where you know get kurt swan to draw something new or whoever it was but wasn't swan but you know get something you know get a comic book artist to draw something new and have a totally unique package yeah you know you just don't get that anymore i mean actually some companies are starting to do it more but it's few and far between you got to be like some like you know got to be like mezco or somebody that's got you know kind of an edgy kind of indie company to, mm. to kind of get past that you know um so it's I, I lament that but yeah this i love this i would love to have i would love to have this item just the box it's just it's just awesome yeah <laughs> yeah i I didn't notice on the ebay because by the time i found it on ebay the uh, the auction had ended so there was no price it just said the bidding for this is over now somebody has scrawled Five dollars and ninety eight cents on the box. I don't get the sense that that was what the original price is. I feel like this was probably somebody sold this in a yard sale, you know, and just stuck yeah. five dollars and tried tried to do the crafty under six dollars sort of thing by charging five ninety eight. <laughs> um, again, wh- whoever had this, it, they they kept the booklet, so I mean, it's pretty complete. Uh, you know, the booklets are always the first thing to go on on stuff like this. But yeah, I completely agree that um, we all love JL GL PBHN, but Using style guides does rob this stuff of some of its individuality, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't get something like this with with a style guide because it is so. You know, you're, again, you're commissioning a, you know an artist to draw this thing, this unique piece of uh, work, and have it on this box with this kind of funky logo. So yeah, it was a really strange, unique item, and you know, uh, I'm glad that I'm glad kids got a use for it back then. You know, I mean, I guess they probably have stuff like this nowadays. They have stuff everywhere. You yeah. know, the superheroes are on everything now. When I see kids walking around in like Captain America, you know, Iron Man helmets, I'm like, good Lord, you kids, you know, <laughs> you don't know how good you've got it. You know, we, we've got pictures of Danny, like uh, my daughter, Danny, sitting at the dinner table, 
eating eating macaroni and cheese with her brother's Iron Man helmet on. You know, she was about <laughs> like five or something. Fantastic. That's fantastic. She just was wearing it around the house. She wouldn't take it off. So we're like, lift it up so you can eat. You know, just that is so cool. <laughs> Shoveling it in underneath. The- <laughs> she is so your daughter. You and Cindy's daughter. It's ridiculous. Yeah. My God, that is awesome. That is just that is so fantastic. She's gonna when she's an adult, she's gonna have such a fond memory of. That Iron Man helmet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I remember when I was a kid, the Iron Man helmet. So, yeah, it's a really unique item. I love finding stuff that I never knew existed. Uh, it's really, it's, it's cute. And now, you know, it makes me think that this logo, right? You mentioned this, this logo where it says physical fitness and then it's got the silhouettes and it says superheroes, right? That makes yeah. me think there must be other items. That yeah, they, there probably they is. this logo on too, because you wouldn't make a whole unique logo for one item. Yeah, I wonder if there's like, you know, like a Wonder Woman jump rope or, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. Yep. I bet you, I bet you there is. And and yep. in, in fact, we may have seen it before and we're just not putting the pieces together right now. So. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah I'll have yeah. to go. We'll have to try and maybe like Google like superhero physical fitness, see what we find or something like yeah, that. From but Vanity uh, Fair, not to be confused with the magazine, but you know. Yeah, no, not that. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's a really fun, cute little item. Again, I love discovering stuff like this. So Chris. Thank you once again for stopping by the Hall of Justice to talk some Super Friends merch with me. Oh, it's it's always a pleasure, Rob. I love doing it. I'll I'll come anytime the trouble alert goes off. So <laughs> awesome! All right, everybody, stay tuned. I'm going to run some uh, podcast promos. I'm going to come back. I'm going to do some listener feedback. Earth's first line of defense has a breakthrough in space technology. Magnalock. It defies the law of gravity. Activate Starcom equipment. Control Starcom weapons. Figures and vehicles each sold separately. Magnalock, a mighty power for Starcom. A deadly threat in the hands of the Shadow Force. Who will survive? And it's time for listener feedback. And these are the comments we got from the website, findwaterpodcast.com on our previous episode of For All Mankind, which was issue 32 with my guest, Shali Fish. First up is Matt Soros, who says the bracelets keep Wonder Woman from turning savage. You really do learn something new every day, like Kate Buffalo. Mind officially blown to think I thought the cover was drawn wrong when I saw Wonder Woman without her tiara. It shows what a clever writer EMB was, having Scarecrow be able to take on the Super Friends on his own. Aquaman with hydrophobia, Batman afraid of the dark, Robin afraid of showing his bare legs in public, up is down and black is white. In regards to my comment from the previous episode where I wrote new interpoofs of classic monsters, it was supposed to be new interpretations on classic monsters, although maybe interpoofs will catch on as a slang term all the Hepcats will use. Instead of saying the Super Friends comic is the bee's knees or the Ginchies, they'll say it's the interpoofs. Kooky, kooky, lend me your comb. That's a deep cut, man. A cellar dweller says, hello, super fans. Sholly Fish, welcome to the podcast. While I was aware of DC Super Friends, I must admit I've never read it. It seemed to be geared for kids. And since I was 39 at the time it was released and have no kids, I never got it. Sounds like you really had a good time working on it. And I wish you much success, much success with your future comic work. Any chance we'll see the Wonder Twins appear in anything you work on? I think I know at least one person who would buy issues with them in it. Now to number 32, second consecutive cover that included all the characters. It was a trend I wish had continued, but I guess it would have taken up too much time for the artists. This issue was published in 1980 when Challenge of the Super Friends was off the air. And I can remember thinking it was cool to finally see a member of the Legion of Doom in, at Legion of Doom in the comic and then puzzled over the fear toxin as Scarecrow didn't use that while he was in the Legion. In fact, he really just kind of stood around those episodes. It wasn't until the Galactic Guardian season where we saw him again in the great episode, The Fear. 
The fear is given to Aquaman and Wonder Woman, touching some old characteristics for them. The bracelets helping to contain Wonder Woman's berserker rage, and Aquaman need to be in contact with water once every hour. As you said, the action was spread pretty, pretty evenly, so I can't name one best friend in this issue. Regarding the fan set pins, I just went to their website and was disappointed to read that due to the changes at DC, DC is not renewing their license with fan sets, so the pins of all the DC characters are no longer being produced. Once uh, once what is left is gone, they'll be unavailable to purchase. Leftover stock is being sold here if anyone wants to see and maybe buy, and then uh, we provided the, the link. Uh, I think I said in the previous episode, I didn't remember those, but I have one. Uh, I have an Aquaman fan set pin that a uh, friend of the network, Russell Burbage, uh, got for me, I think sometime last year. Uh, I just forgot that that was called Fanset. So I took it off the card and I attached it to one of my sweatshirts and I, it's been on there ever since. And it's a, it's a fun little drawing of Aquaman. So I love it. So, um, that's a shame to know that they're not making them anymore and what's available is, is that's it. But then thank you for the, uh, update, seller dweller. Rob McCarthy says fear gas is great stuff. It affects Superman, even though he's faster than air currents and can breathe in space. Come on, Rob. Sean M. Myers from our network says, welcome to the show, Shali. I read and loved each of your DC Super Friends issues, so it's great to hear you talk about this story. At the time of your series, there were very few comics that were just lighthearted fun, so it was much appreciated. I'm also a huge fan of your work on Scooby-Doo Team-Up, and me too. I love that you had not only heroes like Dead Man and the Justice Society, but also the Hanna-Barbera characters like Johnny Quest and Quick Draw McGraw. Oh, and Rob, you were great as always. Thank you, Sean. Little Russell Burbage, the aforementioned Little Russell Burbage, says, uh, Rob, this is one of my favorite issues of Super Friends, and you and Shali did a great review of it. Funny, I also remember Shali's Scarecrow story, and it reminded me of this issue. He says they were not connected, but I think maybe a little subconscious work was going on with him there. Part of the reason I like this issue was because of the emotional stakes it had. Aquaman kind of freed himself and Wonder Woman from the power of the gas, which is cool in and of itself, but Batman saves Robin, and then, as you pointed out, Robin saves Batman. That's a great example of their love for each other. And you didn't really mention it, but Superman's scene where he talks himself out of being controlled is pretty strong stuff, too. He thinks of how proud his adopted parents were of him and how he can't soil their memory on some puny made-up phobia. Great. And then Charlie Fish uh, commented on the comments, and he said, Glad you all enjoyed the podcast. Thanks again for having me on, Rob. A couple of quick replies. For more information on what happens if Wonder Woman doesn't wear her bracelets, check out. And then he sends a link on CBR about Wonder Woman's bracelets, 15, th- 15 things you need to know. In response to Cellar Dweller, where he said, I haven't had a chance yet to do a full-length Wonder Woman story, unfortunately, but I did give them a cameo in my graphic novel, Teen Titans Go! to camp. And it's Scooby-Doo team-up number seven, featuring the Super Friends. I had Scooby and the gang disguise themselves for reasons too involved to go into here as Wendy, Velma, Marvin, Shaggy, Wonder Dog, Scooby, and yes, the Wonder Twins as Fred and Daphne. To Little Russell Burbage. You'll probably write about the Scarecrow story being somewhere in the back of my head when I wrote mine, although I had no conscious memory of it. Actually, the same thing happened recently when I got advanced copies of something that will be out soon, and my kids pointed out a plot point that was similar to something I hadn't read in decades. Ah, oh well, I suppose if it only happens once every 10 to 15 years, that isn't so bad. Thank you so much, Shali. I really appreciate it. And again, thank you for coming on the show. Dr. Ann says another great episode, another great guest. This show is truly one for the ages. I love that Wonder Woman's fear ends up making her more ruthless than helpless. A miscalculation for sure. I love the picture of her holding the scarecrow upside down. Looks like she's going to pile drive him. I'm a big fan of Mr. Fish's work. His Super Friends book came out at the perfect time for my kids. I got them every month and read the issues to my girls. They love them and I love them. Such a great book. But I also am a huge fan of his work on the backup material in Grant Morrison's Action Comics run in the New 52. I always felt like when Morrison left, Mr. Fish should have taken over. A sincere thank you for those stories, which bolstered Morrison's magic. Just wonderful synergy. Thanks for this episode, Rob, and hope to hear more from Sholly in the future. Yes, Sholly, we have no plans at the moment, but Sholly will be back 
on the network at some point. I love talking to him and uh, he's a great guest. So we'll have him on some other show at some point. From our network, Chris Franklin says, uh, of course, just from this very episode as well, says, great to hear Sholly on the show. We read my son the Super Friends comic until he was old enough to read them himself. And my daughter has all the Scooby-Doo team-ups and the Batman Scooby-Doo issues. We were very excited last week to hear it is returning. I can't re- recommend these comics enough to our listeners here, who I know are mostly bronze age geared. The essence of these classic comics is within those series. And Sholly does a wonderful job capturing that feel. And they are just a lot of fun. I somehow have never read this issue of Super Friends, despite being a big fan of the Scarecrow. He was definitely underutilized on Challenge with Super Friends, but man, was he scary with that creepy design and that voice. Wonder Woman's bracelets were very important in the Golden and Silver Age, and not just for deflecting bullets. If you took them off, she went nuts, as seen here. And if a man bound them together, she lost her powers. Now, neither of those really hold up well in today's more supposedly enlightened times, but still, it was part of the lore. I love Kurt Schaffenberger's art, especially his Batman. He drew the most unmysterious, downright Dark Knight detective Batman at DC in the 70s and 80s. In my opinion, his Robin looks a bit young, especially compared to the man wonder Ramona usually draws. The man wonder, I like that. Uh, Ramona usually draws, but I like it. I love everything else, but I miss Ramona when she's off the book. Schaffenberger continued his association with the brand by drawing Super Friends licensing art, as seen in the 1982 DC style guide. It wasn't all JLGL, PBHN. Great show, fellas. Thank you, Chris. Chuck Coletta says, I decided to check out Michael Fleischer's Wonder Woman Encyclopedia from the 1970s in regards to the amazing Amazon's bracelets. And he gives four uh, distinct points about Wonder Woman's bracelets. I won't get into all of them, but he says the first one. Originally, the bracelets of submission were treated inconsistently during the Golden Age. What? In Wonder Woman number two, 1942, it states... When an Amazon girl permits a man to chain her bracelets of submission together, she becomes as weak as other women in a man-ruled world. If a woman chains the bracelets together, however, Wonder Woman's strength remains completely unaffected. The level of her power loss is also inconsistent. I remembered that bit about that she, when Wonder Woman would be chained by a man, she loses her powers. I remember that bit, but again, the whole going berserker thing, that part I, I again, had no memory of uh, at all. Uh, like I said, so uh, thank you for the information, Chuck. Edo Boznar says, on the subject of an obvious phobia for Aquaman, I'm surprised, especially given the surname of this week's guest, Superfriend, that neither of you mentioned what is the most obvious one, ictophobia, i.e. the fear of fish. Regardless, I really enjoyed the show. Having Charlie as a guest was an extra special treat. And I have to say, Rob, I totally agree with you about the fact that DC could slash should have reprinted Charlie Superfriends in a series of digests. That seems like a no-brainer to me, although I'm sure there's some complicated explanation full of charts and terms like profit margins and ROI for why it wasn't and probably never will be done. I just love to know. I just love to finally get a chance to read the series in some nice, reasonably priced books. Uh, absolutely, Edo, that's a, that, that would be a great idea. They should absolutely do those. But it uh, seems like DC is out of the digest business, uh, probably permanently, unfortunately. Mitch Fletcher says, okay, so you won't cover the Super Friends series. Um, <laughs> the DC Super Friends series event. How about the Superpowers comic series done by Jack Kirby? Nobody I know has covered those ones, and I think you might get a kick out of them. Mitch, the Super Friends show for all mankind will just cover the Super Friends material from 76 to 81. That's going to be the show, and I'm not going to uh, go outside of that uh, because that's just what this show is. But I will say, if you enjoy the Superpowers miniseries, Stick around. You never know what might show up on the Fire and Water podcast feed. And that's all I'll say. Martin Gray says, Count me as another Sholly fan delighted to hear him on the network again. So Aquaman could communicate with Gleek. Maybe he's a sea monkey. 
Captain Entropy says, this is one of those issues where the heroes should have been able to wrap it up in a page and a half despite Scarecrow's machinations, but that wouldn't have served the story very well, I guess. Like others, I generally prefer Frayden, but Berserker Wonder Woman is drawn by Schaffenberger is strangely appealing. Regardless of this issue covered, any podcast Sholly guests on is great, and Rob hosting it makes it even better. I need to read Sholly's work. Yes, you do, Captain. Paul Kian, of course, also from our networks, says, great episode, Rob and Sholly. A fun issue, and I will reiterate Chuck's comments above about the braces of submission. This is something I recall from Bronze Age Wonder Woman, which admittedly was not her strongest era. And the Gotham architects who designed the Wayne Foundation may have been influenced by Scarecrow's fear gas or some other foreign substance. Charlie, keep up the great work. Love Scooby-Doo team up and Batman Scooby mysteries. And then finally, Brett Young says, another fun episode, Rob. It was great listening to Sholly Fish. I've read almost all of his DC Super Friends comics to all three of my kids at various points. They're the perfect reading material to entertain a young girl or boy. Regarding the issue at hand, I remember this issue well, though I'm not uh, sure how well the conceit that Wonder Woman requires bondage to ensure she stays in the line has aged. Maybe work those issues put on, maybe work out those issues on your own pretty well. Given the godlike evolution of the character of Batman, there was something very satisfying about seeing Superman knock his ass out. For a kid's comic, the Super Friends version of Superman isn't shy about handing out a beating. And then Batman is further humiliated by Aquaman tossing his unconscious body over his shoulder and dropping him in the passenger seat of the Batmobile just so Aquaman can open her up on the Gotham highways. Let's see Tom King write 12 issues about that. Let's not. Also, despite my dismissal of bats, it's always good to see the Wayne Foundation super tree building and Bruce's cocaine fever dream FU money penthouse on top. It's got a moat on the top of a skyscraper. I take it all back, Bruce. I'm sorry, Superman put you to sleep, you magnificent bastard. Go eat sushi off a supermodel stomach on a polar bear rug while your manservant blares some Night Ranger. Oh, Brett. Uh, I think Night Ranger appeared in three issues of Batman in the 70s. I can't be sure. We'll have to look that up. It makes amazing world. So uh, that is going to do it. Thanks for all the comments, everybody. Uh, they were uh, the feedback section is is always uh, an interpoof. Um, it's just a. Great stuff all around. Was that the correct use of that term? Uh, anyway, thanks so much for the comments, everybody. I really appreciate it. So that's going to do it for this episode of For All Mankind. Big thanks to Delvin Williams for coming by the Hall of Justice and talking this comic with me. Uh, I love it when I get to introduce the book to somebody new and then they like it. So uh, it makes me feel really good. So, of course, you can find back episodes of our show on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. We're always talking super friends over on Twitter at For All, for all Mankind, SF. And then finally, if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. There you can unlock various awards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Chuck Dill, Stanford M. Brown, Gord Tolton, and David Gutierrez for their support of the network. I really do appreciate it. So that's going to do it. Thanks for listening to For All Mankind. Join us next episode when we will look at Super Friends number 34, The Creature That Slept a Million Years. NFW-TV Podcast.